Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And I'm thrilled to be joined by Robert Craig, our Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert, good to see you this morning. Good to see you, Matt, and happy election week. We will not talk to you again until after the election, and we know the results. So yes. Last Battleground Wisconsin before the big election. Yeah, you know, uh, we are knee-deep in election work. I've been in the office a lot, and we're, uh, we've been doing a lot of phone calls and a lot of volunteers. Thank you to everyone who's volunteered. And I want to encourage folks, right? This isn't, uh, this is not a fundraising uh, podcast, but it is a volunteer raising podcast. There is no more time left <laughs> to get involved if you haven't. Um, and so this weekend is super important. And let me tell you why. Um, one, field matters a lot in lower turnout elections. And when I say field, I mean talking directly to voters one-on-one, either through the doors, through the phones, net, neighborhood networks, your own personal networks. All of those contacts, statistically speaking, uh, get much more important the closer you get to the election day. And, and, and obviously, you can already go vote now. So we're, we're, we're functionally in a voting period, but a lot of folks just habitually show up in, on election day and there's also a lot of push that day. Your activity and involvement in that work is so important. Uh, there's data that shows field can be up to 3%. And that's a, that's a lot of that. And the most important part of that happens in the final four days. We often call it GOTV or get out the vote. There's a reason for that. It's very important. Those last minutes contact. You'll hear from a lot of people, ah, voted, I know, don't bother me. You know what? Every, you know, if you, you will talk to somebody who didn't know, who forgot, who was confused. And Robert, I want to talk to you about this because this is, this is what's important. And we've talked a lot about this on the podcast and why these calls are so important. The ads. The, the content of what we're seeing on the TV ads, and look, before I dive into this a little more, kudos to uh, Judge Protasewicz. She's been running a lot of fantastic ads on, on uh, your right to an abortion, which I think is super important because it is the number one issue. And Robert, you and I have been in a whole organization, tons of volunteers. We've had volunteers from around the country. It's been impressive. We're well over 30,000 calls uh, with volunteers, folks, and some of our staff, including Robert and I. And so I want to share with you, and Robert, I want you to participate here a little bit in, in talking about some of our experiences and why what we're seeing on the t television ads matters when you make these calls. And, and Robert, I've had this experience, but I want to hear from you about people that you've talked to on our calls who are progressive, and we find that out when you dig a little bit and have the conversation, but they start in kind of a confused state or unhappy about what they're seeing, because in their world, all they're seeing are the ads. Robert, talk more about that, and then at least for you personally, your impact on these calls and why other of our listeners need to sign up. We've got tons of volunteer opportunities the final four days. Robert? So 
the ads are an example of how our system creates an all or nothing short term ism where all the stops are pulled out regardless of the long term consequences. We're demoralizing the electorate with these sorts of ad campaigns and no one likes them and it is damaging democracy. And it's not only, you cannot just say, if you're on the Democratic side, that, oh, the other side made us do it. Now, we still have to defeat them in order to restore democracy, but there is a way to do this that actually improves democracy at the same time, and we're not doing enough of that. And we've, we've mentioned um, how outrageous some of the ads are on our side, which is embarrassing. The other side is even worse. Uh, but, you know, uh, some editorial boards, Wisconsin State Journal have called out just Judge Protasewicz for ads from her campaign attacking uh, Kelly on the basis of being a defender of someone who committed a heinous crime. That is a complete, that is the, that is actually confusing the public about our legal system and the Constitution and everyone's right to a defense. So, but passing over over that, the answer is more democracy. Those in the sound of my voice cannot change what's going on now in terms of changing the ads or changing who's hired to set up these ads, any of that, or all the big money. We can't reverse Citizen United, but we can restore democracy by talking to people. Because if you, it's very clear that the only way we have a democracy is for people to be front and center and for elections to be won by people uh, getting involved, taking action, talking to one another. And what's interesting, the methodologies have advanced. Field might be a bigger impact than before because our methodologies now are both better at inspiring base voters, those already with us but might not vote, and better at reaching some undecided voters or even voters that are leaning the other way. And it's by listening to that voter. And it takes a long time if you're sitting on it's a computer dialer, Sometimes you have to wait because a lot of lot of voicemails, a lot of hangups. But then you get, you know, in a two hour period, those three, four conversations where you realize those people wouldn't have been reached unless someone had talked to them. The ads are not cutting through at all. In fact, anything they're 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 making them less likely to participate at all. Yeah, I the ads are effective. I mean, we need to be honest. There's a reason these ads run, but their main objective is to confuse and suppress the vote and humans talking to humans that's right listeners you're humans actually increases the vote provides clarity um, and i want to be very clear about how this happens uh, and give you an example of a conversation so talking to someone just this week from uh, a graduate just about to graduate from uw green bay um, and she wanted to talk about the crime ads and actually asked me about one of the ads, uh, uh, 12, the um, uh, involving a rapist, one of the gross ads. And I just we had a conversation about like, I don't know the details. I can't provide light there, but then started to actually talk about some of the issues that other issues that were at stake after actually a conversation I had about like, um, my disagreements with Janet on criminal justice, but then was able to pivot to talking about all the things and everything that's really at stake around particularly right to choose, right, abortion rights, uh, redistricting, whole number of things, 
around how criminal justice will actually uh, play out. And it was amazing. She, she was totally like aligned with a lot of the things we talk about on the show. Actually had voted for J Judge Everett and was considering, he just was very confused about the two candidates, but by the end was solid, solid for Janet and understood really what's at stake and wants to get involved in citizen action, right? It's another thing we're doing. We're trying to get more folks engaged in the long haul and to be with us beyond the election and to get off the couch or and not just rely on digital spaces and get into real spaces and have real conversations. So folks, that's our pitch. You've got to get involved. These calls are real, they matter, there's real people. Um, and we've got folks from all around the country doing this work. Um, quite frankly, I'm just gonna let you know, we've had more volunteers from out of state than we've had from Wisconsin. I'd like to see that change the last weekend. I'd love to see a lot of listeners. We join via Zoom and afterwards we debrief. Love to see some listeners come on. Uh, Robert's there all the time. I'm there all the time. So uh, you get a chance to chat. It's a wonderful opportunity. Please get involved. Um, we'll have a link where you can join us. There are multiple opportunities. Election day, we're essentially calling all day, folks. And election day is the most important day for those reminders. So please sign up. Robert, final thoughts before we go to break on this, you know, historically important election. Well, we're going to dig in a little more into into where the race is after the break. I will just say that, I mean, I, I it just feels like with a Battleground Wisconsin audience that you all know that this is the most expensive race in American history for court because it affects power in the whole country and that the conspiracy to end democracy has not ended. In, front, in fact, one of the very right-wing judges who was a front-runner of Supreme Court under George W. Bush, who advised Pence not to throw the election, uh, is speaking out saying the conspiracy is ongoing and continuing. And we see that with the Trump campaign. And we have to we have to think about, I think Ben Wickler is right, a scenario where we're sitting in 2024 and Wisconsin's critical vote is being counted, and we get we get a sense the legislature is going to steal the election and uh, name the electors, and we're kicking ourselves for losing that super close state Supreme Court race back in 2023. So they're, they're very different futures. It doesn't guarantee everything. It does not going to guarantee perfect maps or a perfect abortion law, but it's the only way to have a functioning democracy is have a fair court that actually is going to interpret the law fairly and apply it to modern circumstances. So folks, again, it's absolutely critical. We get involved this final four days of the election, including election day. We are operating. We got phone banks again, and we're canvassing in Milwaukee, Green Bay, Wausau, Eau Claire, La Crosse. Please reach out, sign up. Check out the links. Folks, you're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin or Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. Robert, before we move away from the election, there are important things that are happening 
uh, I, I, I alluded to one of the, the, the latest ads and I do want to give you an opportunity, anything in this section to talk more about the race and things that are happening, but just this ad, um, it's a front page story in the journal Sentinel today. We, we record Thursday mornings, but it, it, it's the, it's the victim behind one of the ads that the chamber of commerce is running. Um, she was raped and Janet Protasiewicz was her judge. And the Journal Sentinel story, Robert, right, goes through outlines how this, how the details like of how Janet actually worked with this victim and the lawyers and, and all the facts of what happened and then how that is conflated by what the ad did and then the process of it. Robert, this is really disgusting again. I mean, these ads are gross in their content, but this really puts the, the truth behind this, the re-traumatizing, the whole just taking advantage of people's real experiences for your own political gain uh, in these ads. Robert, more your thoughts. And then also, I want to give you an opportunity if there's any other things around the Supreme Court race, right? It's super important. Just want to give you an opportunity. Yeah. And one difference between the progressive and the more the moderate wing Democratic Party, which I've said are are in many ways in other democracies that are multi-party would be two separate parties potentially. Uh, there's a huge difference about naming culprits. So Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce, the big biggest lobby, business lobby in the state, they are behind the big money takeover of the state Supreme Court. These were sleepy races, very nonpartisan races. They changed that. They created this dynamic where Democrats, they responded too slowly, needed to respond or just have judges and courts that would always support, you know, the boss. Big corporations went against the little guy in court when they were poisoned by pollution, when they were harmed by a consumer product, when their grandmother or aunt were abused in a nursing home. All of that, that sounds very graphic. That is the kind of thing they are trying to make sure they have no liability for. And so, I mean, I, I have a lot of respect for former justice uh, Janine Gasky. But she's saying both sides are at fault now because she's in this nonpartisan lane. I'm sorry. This was a national strategy, and WMC was one of the leaders of it. It came from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. And that is where we get people like Judge Kelly. Um, they, we, they know how they'll respond. They will not hold corporations accountable. They will not make them uh, respond to the climate crisis. They will not hold them responsible for, for any kind of equity issue or discrimination issue. You just name it. And so WMC is the culprit here, and it's for it's for profit. They're not making enough profit. They're not getting rich enough. There's no limit. It's what we see in, in a lot of the ultra-rich elite in this whole country. And elite cap, there was an elite capture of our court. The right wing is the vehicle for that, okay? Not not the cause. They can't do it without all that money. And that's uh, and the self-interest is motivating it. The ads they are running. And I will shout out to another corporation, Gannett, for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel story, is just stunning. I mean, we've attacked Gannett, so I'm just saying credit when credit is due. And that is, they are running ads about a, a very heinous rape case that was very traumatic for the victim. 
Um, and they are saying that Janet didn't listen and gave a light sentence. Well, that's not what the victim thinks. The victim actually thinks it was fair and would have been okay with less even because they believe in restorative justice and they wanted it to go away. They don't even take streaming services, this woman, because they don't want to be triggered. And uh, and they this the, the the Kelly campaign or the consultants they hired, you know, not excuse me, not them, excuse me, WMC and the consultants they hired is independent expenditure, and that's the biggest expenditures in the race are WMCs, over five million. They called her repeatedly and she wouldn't participate. And then they sent her the ad. And the ad misrepresents everything. And uh, it's it. I won't go any more blow by blow to say that it's absolutely horrific. Janet comes up in the article as being a very sensible judge who took the victim into account and decided what was fair, right, given the circumstances, how bad the crime was, but it was a first offense and here's where the victim is, et cetera, and came down with, with a sentence the victim is very satisfied with, and they mischaracterized it just in order to elect a judge that will do their bidding and always rule in their favor. Yeah, look, Robert, you mentioned it. This victim talks about her faith in restorative justice, which is actually you know, a really important concept um, we've talked about it as it relates to schools and police in schools and a lot of young folks and districts trying to figure out how to use concepts like restorative justice and other measures other than police to look at ways to provide safety. And so buried in all of this, all of this absolutely disgusting display of money being lit on fire with gross ads that provide darkness and not light on what makes us safe. We have the truth buried in the story of restorative justice. And as Robert said, big money, the money, the culprits behind all of this stuff, all this garbage, refusing to pull these ads, refusing to admit that they're wrong, ignoring the victim. These are the same folks who probably run you know, a billion ads around victims' rights, you know, as a way to like have, you know, quote, hanging judges. Well, here's a victim saying, I actually wanted restorative justice practices potentially to have been in there. And I trusted Janet, the judge. And there was a process where, if you read the story, it's amazing, taken back into chambers. And the victim was given an opportunity to essentially like do more, do whatever. And she entrusted the judge and she felt the judge made the right decision. Wow, what a like, <laughs> it actually sounded like a, 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 a the process you would want to see. Maybe not perfect, um, but at least not awful. Certainly not the way it was presented. And then when those facts are presented to the Chamber of Commerce, they just ignore it and push through. Folks, that's very telling about when they say they care about the victims, all this stuff. It isn't about any of that. It isn't about any of that. It's about power. It's about power. Robert. Well, let me talk about the case is just triggers me. Appalling to talk about. I think we've done it well. Uh, the result of this strategy, and it is part of the ultra-rich strategy of winner-take-all anything to get power, including Donald Trump, okay? 
including all the insurrections to keep eating a lot of corporate money. Okay, remember that. Corporations, the most who are the vehicle for the ultra rich to make their money and then remove it from the corporation, they, they, their money is the vehicle and the ultra rich themselves who do independent expenditures like Richard Eline, um, vehicle for all of this. But Craig Gilbert, who's an excellent political reporter for the Journal Sentinel and a good guy, um, uh, did a good article leading into the current race. And he's pointing out, which we've been pointing out, that all elections, statewide elections in Wisconsin are becoming like presidentials. Really, this was the first midterm where the governors and Senate race that were that close, where it tracked the presidential battleground state. This is the same things happened in the Supreme Court. And the fascinating numbers that Craig Gilbert provides is that there was virtually zero correlation between partisan preference and who you voted for for Supreme Court in the 70s. It ticked up in the 80s to about 20%. 40% in the 90s, it, so it's getting more partisan, 60 and that 90s is when the WMC launches this strategy to take over the courts. 6% in the 2000s, it was it got up to the to 8%. Now it's at 9.4% and maybe more so in this race. So what that means is this race is not nonpartisan. It has become totally partisanized. I'm telling you, though, if you believe in abortion rights, if you believe in fair maps, what alternative does the Democrat coalition have other than to respond and win these races? This idea, oh, we should be nonpartisan, just let them have the court. Then you don't have any rights at all, right? So it really is, and but Robert, I think we have to fight a just war. Robert, I want to get back to Gannett real quick here, because um, their hypocrisy, though, on this, um, I watched, they, hey, to their credit, they have put up a lot of good stuff, I'll say, on the race, but uh, including all their interviews with the editorial board, and sections. So thank you guys. I I appreciate that. Uh, however, the going after Janet on the money being spent, like somehow she's responsible for the corruption when her campaign like is raising tons of money within the campaign for it's insane versus all the money on the, the other sides, all independent money. You lines like five million dollars alone one dude five million dollars crazy right and they're going after her and, and and i'm like wait while i'm watching the video ads streaming all over for the supreme court race these this company is profiting off of this garbage running and these ads and they take all the money and then they turn around and they like so condescendingly go after like Janet about the money as they're like, they're like actually receiving big chunks of that money. Right. Uh, and then the hypocrisy where their editorial board, while they're putting it in their pocket on the back end comes out of their mouth with, Oh my God, isn't this corrupting of democracy? If they believe that stop taking the ads, start leading and providing this kind of coverage and democracy of issues every day and you don't need to run those ads <laughs> or you know robert it's just the sanctimonious stuff around this well, like, i get it the idea that janet was supposed to unilaterally come and run this race differently maybe i try to have a conversation with her about the system and what's happening and what's it like to have to go in and compete like that as a judge as opposed to lecturing her as if what she's doing is wrong <laughs> In the con context of what's going on, it's like 
go pound sand. Like, really, that's not light. That's darkness. It's not helping us understand what's going on. Sorry, Robert. You were going to say, say, and I know it's going to a break, but I'll say briefly that there's always been the weaknesses of journalism. You can critique inconsistently just to be the critic. And then that's supposed to be your being, you're holding people accountable. So I had conversations within the recent future, recent past with Dan Bice, their lead political investigative reporter, about how, and it was all about dark money. That was the bad thing. And the the small pittance uh, a, uh, a progressive grassroots group like us could do in the county, you know, county board race, the county executive race, was the issue. And was it technically dark money or not? Now all of a sudden, no. One side's all dark. The other isn't. We're gonna yeah. we're gonna change the ball so we can seem objective. And I want to get to that the other end. Yeah, also, yeah, yeah. Let's yeah, even nonprofit. Have let's been take a break, Robert. We need to take a break, but I want to talk about that on the back end uh, of this break. You're listening to the Battlegrounds Guys. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We were talking about the state Supreme Court election. Robert, I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about that, right? Like this, like to treat all, quote, dark money equally or all, you know, is insane, uh, <laughs> especially since one, the the value and the amount of money being spent on basically television and digital advertising, right? Versus everything else. It's just, it, it's almost irrelevant. However, we know it's not because we know field tactics matter. They're just not being invested in heavily. Robert. There's also another reason that Janet is able to raise Judge Janet records amounts because the right has put us in a position where the Wisconsin Supreme Court could affect whether we have democracy in the United States of America. So of course it's going to be of interest. And of course she's going to be able to raise money on that. And then abortion, people care a lot about abortion in Wisconsin, but it's one state. So it matters. But what really matters is the, the conspiracy against democracy. But, you know, hey, Robert, we- one, one final thing on that as it relates to like who spends the money and it does matter that Janet spend it. The best ads of the campaign are Janet's. Her abortion ads are fabulous. Her her issue ads are really good when she, when she's talking about her issues and positively about where she is, but also like very clear about what Kelly's about. I think those those are the best ads. I wish we had more of them. Robert? Yeah, her 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 media consultant uh, Ben Knuckles is the best Wisconsin guy, I think, doing ads. I just wish he wasn't lending his talent to the crime ad she's running, but you're totally right about abortion. Um, but that for, that's for later discussion. Uh, you know, we promoted nonprofit media. Battleground Wisconsin is nonprofit media, right? Wisconsin Examiner, the uh, Wisconsin Public Radio, Milwaukee, you know, WWM in Milwaukee, others. Um Wisconsin Public Radio, which is a great service, is falling into a number of these frames as their parent, you know, NPR often does. So they're certainly falling into the, it's the money and, you know, Janet's raising the most. So somehow that's corrupting. We at least know because they're, they're they, it is hard money. You do have specific contributors, unlike what's going on with WMC. We don't know where they got the money, which corporate CEOs. Um, and also Richard Eline, we know where he got his money by becoming a, a titan and uh, a financial titan, basically, with a big industry and extorting the rest of us for money, uh, taking the lion's share of the productivity of his own workers. 
But, a lot of people drive by his money on I-94. Yes. But Wisconsin Radio has a story this morning, Thursday morning, saying that um, about the controversy about, you know, Kelly's trumped up charge that uh, Protosiewicz is uh, compromising herself by stating her values. And they say, after stating that, they say that Justice Kelly has been much, much more circumspect in his views. Like the man has a record of extreme views on all of it, all in print, all known. The fact that he's not saying it now is because he's trying to play this game that he is a judge, which he is now, not a legitimate judge. Robert, is this this is this the same interview, though, that might have had the best question ever posed to a Supreme Court candidate when she said. If the laws are not to be interpreted and they're just clear. What do we need a Supreme Court for? <laughs> Which I thought was the best question because it it lays bare the hypocrisy of Kelly and the blowhardedness of these conservatives who think that somehow they're divining the original intent that can never change. <laughs> it's just absurd, uh, Robert. Yeah. No, I mean... We got to, I think, by their partisan activity, we don't have to even answer the original intent. We're just interpreting it the way it is. That was always a lie, a rationalization. But the abortion decision, others have completely obliterated that. So you don't even have to get into the details. But it is absurd. Like the founding fathers decided AR-15s needed to be universally available, right? Uh, apparently, the founding fathers meant to say that you can spend any money you want in elections and not report it under the First Amendment. But we didn't really discover that until 2008, that we went over well over 200 years before realizing that's what the founding fathers had meant all along. Really? I advise people to go, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll put the clip on, because it's worth listening to the it had to be about 45 to 60 seconds of bloviation that came out of Kelly's mouth after she asked that question. I was like yelling at the radio, like, oh, my God, what a bunch of crap, right? Like, this guy is so arrogant. He's such a blowhardy. It's like, it's unbelievable the arrogance of their position that they can, that they know that they are the only ones who can interpret the original intent, it's just unbelievable. Through tremendous scholarship, <laughs> you know, so an erudition. It's I don't, so dumb. They try the to justify it when made, they... <laughs> when when he, took that, he took that brilliant legal mind and put it to the fake electors. Remember yeah. that, okay? Which I also don't understand where that comes in the original intent of the God-inspired founders. Remember, he went to Pat Robertson's law school. He actually thinks that the laws are God-inspired, uh, directly, like there's a God, it, active right-wing God, telling Robert, us that abortion must be illegal. Yeah, it's absurd, Robert. But before we, before we um, move on to non-election stuff, I do want to talk about the Chicago mayor's race briefly with you because I saw your eyes light up. You're like, whoa, that's not about Wisconsin. Here's why I think it's important. It's a really, really important fight for our vision of the world, or at least something <laughs> close to our vision of the world as to what a city, how a city should be governed, both economically, um, and what kind of spaces do you wanna create, equity, but then also what makes you safe? 
And uh, the Chicago mayor's race, we've talked about it, huge battle between conservative Democrat, used to call himself a Republican, Ballas, versus progressive. He's connected to a number of folks in our People's Action Network. Uh, I know there's <laughs> former staffers of our organization who are basically living and breathing this campaign for good reason. This is someone who's got you know, the right idea what makes us safe. Robert, but the, the actual discussion around this still is awful. I this week heard a, a slate, which is a progressive left of center. I love their uh, weekly podcast. Um, they had this show called What's Next, and they interviewed a Chicago Tribune reporter's discussion of this race. It was appallingly bad. There was virtually no discussion of what Brandon Johnson's actual, what his actual policies were. A lot of clarity about Vallis's un, was it unhinge the cops or unleash? Like it sounds terrible, but we know what that is. Very great clarity in that policy. Virtually nothing other than that he was somehow being pigeonholed as for defund the police, which is tells you nothing. And then some throwaway line where he says, you know, whoever wins, they're not going to really get what they want. Things are intractable. It's not like there'll be prayer circles. If Brandon Johnson wins, prayer circles outside of City Hall. And I'm like, so, okay, this is a progressive show. That was our discussion of you know, progressive, other alternative ways to make us safe. There was virtually none. And that's what's disturbing, right? It's very challenging. The level of discussion around crime right now, what makes us safe, all of it is really disturbing. And there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And this election, in summary, uh, has revealed that. And there's uh, a lot of work to be done within the within our movement, but just in general, dealing with our broader society and putting in a lot of time and thought in this work and understanding every bit that we do around it needs to be thoughtful because we got a fucking mountain to break down of ignorance around this. Robert? Yeah, this is a critically important race. Uh, interesting, you listened to a podcast. I listened to the big news radio station, Chicago's public affairs program at issue. And it was god awful. It was about which corrupt ward healer was with Vallis now and why. And, and you know, it's just no sense. Awful politicky shit. Yeah. yeah. So Brandon Johnson is running the ideal progressive campaign. He comes off organizing, he's close to our opposite numbers in Chicago, the People's Action affiliates there who are very, very seriously run very good electoral programs and also build people work on issues from the beginning. And he is running on the very popular, clear versions of a progressive agenda. His progressive crime platform will make people feel safer. This is the kind of platform that tests better in the good polling than the tough on crime. He is outgunned by this huge amounts of money behind Paul Vallast, who is a school privatizer who now also is an Unleash the Police. I hadn't heard he said that, Matt, candidate. I got to tell you, they seem pretty unleashed in the in the Laquan McDonald case, but perhaps, you know. <laughs> well, that's the problem with this analysis. It's like, yeah. wait, some minor, minor, like, discussions that have led to very little in actual policy changes around accountability for the police? Like, they were making a major offense about how the police were upset and had, had successfully weaponized the idea that they were asking cops to think about how you chase down or, you know, when you would 
chase someone or where you put people at risk. It's like, I'm sorry. Like, oh, here's here's the thing. What are we talking about? This is where we need to get sharper as the left. We do sometimes make it sound like we're attacking the individual morality of every cop. You know, there are people who. Uh, for the for the right reasons, why to do things, join the police, but they joined a system, a structure that puts you in this bad situation and we do it, you can't, you cannot do as much harm, but you can't really do the right thing in that system and structure. And the representatives of the police, which is the problem, which is not all police control what their representatives say, are the whiniest group imaginable. Any serious critique, analysis, accountability becomes, we're tied down, we can't protect you, we're these wonderful warriors. So it's just outrageous. I will say Bernie Sanders, really the unofficial head of the progressive party within the Democratic Party, is appearing at a big rally Thursday to drive up GOTV fresh off his humiliation of Howard Schultz, the uh, CEO of Starbucks, which we can get to if we have time. And so this is really marked as, I think Brandon Johnson, if he can pull this off, he is outgunned, but they're doing real organizing, they're talking to people, and they have raised a good amount of money, just Vallis has ungodly amounts of money, that this would set a pattern for how we can elect progressive mayors and progressive members of Congress and senators that will actually build, make people feel safer, and are more effective in elections, not less. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin with Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Robert, I want us to stop talking about the election for 11 minutes. (laughs) And I do want to talk about Congress's discussion with the former, unfortunately, CEO of Starbucks and uh, the union busting and essentially you know, his full-throated defense of union busting. But I think it's important to point out, right, like there were a lot of leaders who who were like, shall we say, aggressively, very publicly. It was the story of Wednesday, nationally, beating the crap out of that CEO for union busting. I got to tell you, when I was a union organizer, I would have died to have had that kind of support <laughs> from politicians. And I, for folks who don't know, I organized in the 90s and there were a ton of, there were thousands of organizers, but there won't much political support for us. I mean, shit, if you could get a politician to write a semi-lukewarm letter in your support and show up at a rally, you know, that was Good job, right? Don't get me wrong. I worked on, I worked on Don't some get of me wrong. Wellstone was out there. The, they were worked, all out there. I worked on, I worked on procuring some of those letters. You probably. Yeah, I know. But like, it, this is very different. It was, it was wonderful to hear a just Democrat after Democrat really kind of, for the most part, tear in and defend and talk about a lot of the things workers go through when they organize these secret campaigns that like, it's. It's almost impossible to overcome. And let me, before Robert, I want you to talk, just to underscore data always in many ways can be helpful. 300 plus organized unions, zero contracts. I mean, let's get serious about their lack of seriousness at Starbucks and supporting worker rights and bargaining with their workers, Robert. 
Right, with the structure rigged against them. These are extremely, and with horrible, if you read the story, surveillance, uh, uh, intimidation, etc. And then, of course, stalling out the contracts. These are high turnover positions. They're hoping that the people who organize the union the store will turn over, get fed up, and then they can defeat the union because labor law is currently constructed, allows it. Hey, hey Robert, can I just interject one thing on that? That happens everywhere. People who think that somehow there's these great, there's these jobs that have zero turnover and are easy to organize and there aren't like half of the workforce constantly churning, wake the hell up, wake the hell up. It's everywhere. It's been that way for a long time. Go to a hospital. They churn too. All of these places churn. And that's not because the workers are all churny. That is the business model. Then they complain about workforce shortages when they don't retain their workers. Okay. In fact, Jeff Bezos has said he wants to make Amazon hard enough that no one will stay more than a couple of years because otherwise they could like build power and start causing issues. Yes. So um, the structure is such that it will take forever to organize all of Starbucks this way. It's so hard but these workers have got it moving. We need to change the structure of labor law. And here's a way to see it. Look, we know for a hundred years, we didn't have a democracy for African-Americans, right? Uh, after reconstruction up to the Voting Rights Act. We, so our multiracial democracy is not very old. It started after the Civil War, but that was stillborn, so to speak. It only lasted through reconstruction. So that democracy didn't work out. Ours is now under threat now. It's a very unstable multiracial democracy, right? So labor law, we we, we created a a system under FDR. The laws have not fundamentally changed. Um, It was supposed to be set up for the workers to have a right, not to give all the rights to the boss, okay? The bosses, it's if the workers want a union in a facility, they're supposed to be able to have one. Well, they've, with their power, stilted it. So these are these are no longer fair elections. These are like the state legislative elections in Wisconsin. So labor law reform, like the Protect the Right to Organize Act, is about restoring democracy. Because we have a situation where 70% of people now say they want unions, and unions are still declining. That tells you it's like 70%. If 70% of the people wanted Democrats to control the legislature, they still wouldn't have that under the current maps, right? So that is the situation with labor law and has been for a while. And we need to understand that we would create tremendous prosperity and also create an amazing new multiracial labor movement because these with the younger generations is the most multiracial group of workers imaginable. So if you want to create a just, equitable society, you need to give union rights to all the service sector workers. They're denied them now who are toiling in what amounts to the fields of uh, 21st century service economy capitalism. I'm going to close this again. 300 plus courageous Starbucks facilities have organized. Zero have contracts. This is even a debate. Thank you, Senator Sanders and everybody else who stood up for workers. Now let's actually continue talking about this, put this back center on the agenda as we head into 2022 so that it can be on the agenda, driving people who currently have zero faith that their economic situations are gonna do any better than quite frankly, 
what this crazy post-COVID world has provided in terms of leverage for workers. You know, the post the truth is the supply chain, the worker shortage, all the shit the Fed's trying to shut down has been the best tool workers have had in my lifetime, particularly low-wage workers, um, getting significant increases in the value because they're hard to find, right? <laughs> right now. And by the way, you know, the Republicans and their brilliant uh, anti-immigration policies, they can blame themselves for creating labor shortages or, you know, basically creating pressure where it's the only thing that's driving up worker wages. I mean, union organizing is helping, but they got zero contract here. And the truth of the matter is we know that overall organizing and unionization is down. So we have got to change the structures. 300 plus organized, zero contracts. It's well, not working. Thank and you. let's talk about the power we have built to have Bernie Sanders that was not elected president in 2016 or 2020. He's chair of one of the most powerful committees in the Senate, the Health Education Labor Pensions Committee, the Health Committee. And he used subpoena powers to drag Howard Schultz in front of him in order to really reveal what he and Starbucks what he, when he was CEO and what Starbucks can you do to workers and their rights, their own workers they claim to love and uh, and respect and want to, and what they, they do want to give them, they give them better benefits than other service employees, but they clearly want uh, the right to control and it's outrageous them. They would still want a voice at work, obviously. Look, folks, if you're a local elected, right, you live in Wisconsin, you're an activist, you listen to this show. If you want to know an awesome way that you can support starting to change the system locally is anytime there's TIF money moving in your community, make sure there's workers' rights attached to that money. That's public money. You should insert yourself into those processes if you're a local elected. You know, there's there at any time you're supporting public institutions or any of those kinds of things, make sure workers' rights are attached because it happens a lot in communities, a lot of TIF money thrown around, a lot of public works projects. There's always opportunities to make sure that that's in a time for making sure our values about the kind of world we want are reflected in how those projects are executed. So, uh, and by the way, if you want some support in that, if you're a local elected officials, please reach out to Robert. Uh, we have a lot of help to provide you a lot of advice and connect you with people who can help you. Folks, Robert? And it won't be finished till later in the year, but Matt, you'll be excited. You haven't read this language. The language that's going to come out of the Milwaukee Climate Equity Task Force, which is charged by the city and county comp with a climate and economic equity plan for the region, is going to be very strong on making sure that there, there are clear agreements on what kind of jobs and who gets the jobs and what the labor standards are when any city or county money is used. So Matt, you'll be happy to know that will be yeah. later in the year in that in that task force report. Hey Robert, we gotta we gotta go here, but I do want to before we go, I want to remind everybody, please volunteer. And hey Robert, I don't know if you saw, but uh Foxconn, we're gonna have to talk about them again. A big meeting tonight. They're gonna be uh potentially uh giving some of the land to Microsoft for a data center. So much more to talk about around Foxconn. Uh, we look forward to talking more about that wonderful. I endeavor. will just- Eighth wonder of the world, Robert, I want to remind you. I will just say that WMC's 
communications on the Supreme Court race and theirs on Foxconn are of a similar truth value. <laughs> yes, uh, that should be their ads. Uh, the folks that brought you Foxconn are now selling you Kelly. Uh, folks, please make sure you get out and vote and volunteer. Vote and volunteer. Go check the links and get involved. And with that, we'll see you next week here at the Battleground, Wisconsin.